Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family. Cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, I'm joined by Matt Corey of BP Boston. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jake. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh this is your first time on the show, so welcome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so uh, for everybody out there that isn't familiar with Matt Corey's work, uh, you can find his writing at BP Boston, uh, at BP itself, Fangraphs, and uh, a little bit of stuff over at Vice as well. So Matt Corey is very well versed in a number of things, and we're going to be uh, picking his brain pretty extensively today about all of the happenings in Red Sox Nation. Uh, Matt, real quick, you want to just give them your Twitter handle out there in case they want to give you a follow? Uh, Matty 2000 Matty Matty 2000 That's a good one. That's almost as good as Brock Star for life, but uh, not not quite. <laughs> I'm not as good a hitter as him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's surprising just how good a hitter he is. So that's that's not a knock on you, but also he has he has a uh, fabulous hair. He does have good hair. I wonder if he would crack Ben Carsley's list of uh, handsome baseball players. That is a that's a question you should drop in the quiver for uh, next time you have Ben on, man. I, that's, I'd like to hear that one. Yeah, I don't know if I can wait two weeks. That might be a, a, a Twitter message right after this uh, <laughs> podcast is over. So emergency priority item. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's he's probably too enthralled with the latest Express ad from Chris Bryant. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, but uh, in all seriousness, we have a whole lot to talk about in Red Sox Nation right now. Um, as we're recording this, it's just hours after the Patriots Day game, uh, Marathon Monday. 
11 o'clock start, uh, one of the weirdest, uh, most awesome traditions in sports. A uh, really great day over here in Massachusetts, so I'm definitely enjoying that. Got out of work early enough to catch the end of the game as well, so uh, very happy about that. The Red Sox unfortunately fell 4-3, to three, but we did see some pretty exciting things. Uh, great Jackie Bradley Jr. catch um, and a really dramatic pinch hit appearance by uh, David Ortiz uh, towards the end of the game with a chance to win. Uh, they ended up dropping it 4-3, to three, but, you know, a pr- pretty entertaining game. Did you get a chance to watch any of that today, Matt? I watched the second part of it. There was a couple innings uh, that I missed in the beginning, but... Yeah, definitely an entertaining game. Uh, doesn't really leave a great taste in your mouth if you're a Red Sox fan as far as the way the bullpen performed. Um, but, uh, hey, at least uh, at least John Farrell finally saw the light and pinch hit for Chris Young. So uh, baby steps, I suppose. Yeah, that was definitely a good thing. Um, it's, it's always a bit of a concern whether or not John Farrell had his, his head on correctly when it comes to those managerial decisions, but... Certainly good to see that. Uh, there has been a lot of talk around Boston sports media and just generally, I think, amongst Red Sox fans about whether or not it was even the right choice to sign Chris Young. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that signing. I think everybody lauded it when it happened, but now um, I think people are digging a little bit more into his stats over the last four or five years and are curious to see whether or not he can continue to help the team. Well, I definitely think he can help the team. He's just a, you know, he's a, a very limited player. Um, and, you know, he's he's got, you know, two skills. He can play defense fine. You can put him in most any outfield position. Um, I won't pretend to know off the top of my head how great an arm he has, but it didn't look horrible or great um, when I've seen him play. Um, he hits left-handers very well, um, and he cannot hit right-handed pitching. Um, so... You know, if you're going to use him against lefties, uh, I think you're going to get some use out of him. If you're going to use him against righties, things are probably not going to go very well. And John Farrell seems to think that in order for him to hit lefties, he's got to face righties sometimes. Yeah. That makes my head hurt. Yeah, Um, I think it makes everybody's head hurt. It's it's a really confusing thing. I mean, he kind of is what he is at this point. It's not like getting extra reps against righties is going to do anything for his skill set or help him – help him evolve into something that he's not. He is what he is at this point, and it's a lefties-only guy. And um, I think when you look down at the roster with the Red Sox, one of the things that's really frustrating to fans so far in this early going is just how little flexibility there is with this current roster construction. Um, Ryan Hannigan, Marco Scudero, Josh Rutledge, uh, Chris Young being the bench options for the team. There's just limited flexibility. I did. I meant to say Marco Hernandez. Oh, man. I, I wish we had Scudero. Imagine some prime Scudero awesome. on this team. That'd be pretty good. Sorry. I probably shouldn't have pointed that out. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's good. Um, I, I guess I just always wish I'm the Giants these days watching that team play. But that'd be easier anyway. Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would make my my uh, my good night's sleep a little bit easier to get. But um, one of the things you touched on about this game was the the falling apart of the bullpen, and I wanted to talk about that real quick because the bullpen so far in the early going has been quite a bit of a strength. Uh, Koji has been amazing up until today, uh, where he showed some uncharacteristic lack of control, um, and then. Craig Kimbrell comes in in the eighth inning to try and put out the fire. Um, 
throws only fastballs to Edwin Encarnacion. Almost every single one of them is 99 miles an hour. Strikes him out, and then he ends up walking to Lewitsky, which um, I believe is the only bases-loaded walk uh, of his career thus far, Craig Kimbrell. So um, that's pretty good to go as many years as he did without having that happen. Um, the stuff is still obviously there. I wonder if these guys are getting a little bit overworked, though, in the early going and whether or not this 11 o'clock start uh, contributed to that because um, Craig Kimbrell and Koji have been used pretty heavily in this past Blue Jays series. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't speak to how those guys are feeling on an individual level. But at least as far as total innings thrown by bullpens right now, the Red Sox are on um, the, the lesser end of things, I think. Uh, well, let's see. They have 37 total innings, which is on the lesser end. But they've also played um, – well, it's impossible. Two to fewer remember. games. Yeah, two fewer teams. games. So um, yeah, they're, they're still right in the middle. So right. I, I, don't, I don't feel like it's um, – you know, horrible overuse. Their their problem is is kind of that they have a, a, a two tiered bullpen. You know, with Tozawa and Uehara and uh, and Kimbrel um, on on you know, and presumably Carson Smith on on one hand, and then everybody else on the other hand. Um, and that's kind of how uh, Farrell is treating it. You know, when when the the top tier is is just pitched, you know, the previous day and or is too tired. Then you go to Matt Barnes and Tommy Lane and, you know, uh, whoever else is in there. Uh, and then, you know, but but that's that's sort of the I, you know, I hope we don't lose group. Um, and, and then the I want to win group is is the is the first one with Kimbrell and, and Uehara and, um, and Tozawa. And, and that's part of what makes today so disappointing is that they got those guys into the game. And those guys are the guys that gave up all the runs. Um, especially uh, Uehara, who just had nothing, and man, he he was not throwing a splitter. Um, he, I don't I don't know I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, I didn't see a split that that really dropped. Um, no, towards the end of that that at bat um, where he walked, uh, who did who did he walk? Not Martin, the guy before Martin. Um, he he walked uh, Bautista, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was throwing 86 mile an hour fastballs outside, just hoping that Bautista would would swing and miss at them. Um, I looked up Uehara's. I mean, he's never been a hard thrower, but I looked up his um, his fastball average fastball velocity, and he's been, you know, as you probably expect considering his age, he's 40, um, but he's been trending downward pretty badly since 2013. And this this year, his his fastballs are, you know, 86, 85. Um, I've seen 87. But I don't think he can get it up past past that. And I think, um, you know, we may reach a point. I mean, he's been so good, even this year, you know, with the exception of this outing. Um, so, you know, maybe he can survive with an 86-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, he has so far. Um, I think the strikeouts are down. But, you know, if he's being pinpoint with stuff, then, then presumably uh, it can work. Um, but, I mean, did you see the, the, the foul balls that were – we're getting hit off of him by Donaldson. Yeah, one of those uh, very nearly left the ballpark. Yeah. It was very, very close, and I agree with you. It, it is troubling to see the over-reliance on the fastball, considering it's just not a great offering for him. I think the fastball is all about location with Koji at this point. You, you yeah. mentioned that, but uh, it's used to set up that ridiculous splitter, which 
is so good a pitch that his teammates, I saw a video of a few of the pitchers from the team actually watching him in the spring training outing. I think it was Kelly, Barnes, and Porcello were watching him in, in an inter-squad outing and just laughing at the movement that his splitter has. So it's yeah. one of the better pitches in all of baseball, and it is kind of troubling that he didn't go to that a little bit more today. So I wonder if that was something that Vasquez was calling or if he just didn't feel like he had confidence in the pitch today. Well, I, I think it's got to be the second one. I mean, he throws those splitters about 50% of the time, right? I mean, it's fastball split, fastball split, fastball split, and that's the, the only reason you can get by with an 86-mile-an-hour fastball is because the split's so good, and you don't know whether or not the pitch that's coming at you is just going to drop off the table or not. Um, also, you know, pinpoint control helps. Um, but, you know, today he didn't have a split, and he didn't have pinpoint control, uh, as evidenced by two walks and a hit by pitch. So, um yeah, it's it's a you know it, it's one of one of many outings in a year, and I think it's really easy to blow stuff up um, into uh, you know freak out mode and and, and get uh, get all work, worked up about you know, about that. But it's it is just one, presumably, hopefully, <laughs> outing for for uh, for a good pitcher, um, and that's you know part of the issue with with a relief pitcher. You know, if Clay Buckles doesn't have a certain pitch going for him, well, he's got three other pitches he can go to. Um, you know, if, if Kimbrel can't spot his fastball, he's he's cooked. He's uh, toast. If, yeah, if, he throws two pitches. Has no, yeah, if Tozawa has no split, that's the end of it right there. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like to see – I mean, I guess I guess from a certain standpoint, you know, Farrell wants to see these – you know, his, his pitchers battle out of situations like that. And I, I get that. But at the same time – I don't know. Maybe it'd be nice to see a bit more killer instinct from the manager's chair. And, and, you know, you see a guy who just has nothing. Just go get him. You know, I mean, obviously, Kimbrell wasn't a whole lot better, uh, (laughs) which is a whole nother uh, frightening topic. But, you know, rather than leave um, Yohara in there to just sort of flounder with with really nothing, um, it would have been nice to maybe go get um, Yohara, you know, a, a batter earlier. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's been one of John Farrell's biggest knocks as manager, even when he was with the Blue Jays, is just his uh, ridiculous passiveness. It's just, it's not active managing with him. It's always almost reactionary. And I think that it gets the Sox into a lot of trouble at times. It'll be something to monitor whether or not uh, that splitter usage goes down with Uihara. But at this point, I don't think we can really have any concern. I mean, these outings happen, especially with the strange start of the game. Maybe routines were were messed up or or whatever it was. Uh, As far as Kimbrell goes, though, uh, this series has been just about as good as it could get, aside from what happened today with the the hit that he gave up to Russell Martin uh, in the one-walked guy. But um, on uh, Friday, he faced the two through five hitters, uh, of Toronto in the ninth inning. Uh, only Edwin Encarnacion got a hit off of him, and he got the save. And then on Saturday, when I was actually at the game, uh, he struck out the side against the two through four hitters of the Blue Jays. That was his best, his best outing by far, that it, one. He, he looked just ridiculously good. And his fastball was between 97 and 99. He dropped in that curveball a few times. It looked just 
super impressive. Overall, that game was just amazing. Price, nine strikeouts, two earned runs. Um, Koji coming into the game, doing a really good job. That was just about as good a win as I could have expected. And even uh, Xander Bogarts got into the action with a three-run shot. So um, the bullpen is something that I'm not going to be too concerned about as of right now. I'm wondering what your take is on Matt Barnes, though, because he's one of those guys you mentioned possibly being in the second tier of the bullpen. But I'm I'm curious to see... He's only pitched 5.1 innings so far this season, but he's got a really good strikeout rate. Uh, and his FIP and XFIP are actually even better than his ERA at this point. Do you think he could take a step up and be one of those elite type of relievers in this bullpen? You know, that's a really good question. I'd love to be able to say yes, but uh, it's we're looking at five innings right now. Um, and, yeah, you're right, the strikeout rate is way up, and that's that's terrific. Um, and he throws hard. I mean, you know, you can see why he, he might get strikeouts. He's, you know, in the upper 90s with that fastball. Um, I don't know how deceptive he is, and I haven't, you know, in, in, in five innings, matchups are really important, so I haven't looked into who he's faced, um, you know, in righties and righties versus lefties and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, the velocity, you know, has always been intriguing with him. But command is always an issue, um, you know, and, and secondary pitches um, are, have been an issue, you know, for him throughout his career. So whether or not he can, uh, I mean, I, I don't think the fastball is good enough on its own. Uh, I think he's going to have to have, um, you know, have to have a secondary pitch that that works for him. Um, and you know, whether he's found it or not this year, uh, I, I I couldn't tell you uh, at least at this point through not through five innings, but. Um, it's it's a promising start for him, and uh, th- so that's something. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting to look because I'm looking at his pitch selection right now, and it hasn't changed all that much as to what he's throwing, uh, considering he has moved from being a starter uh, to a reliever. He's still pretty much 60-20-20 um, with that curveball and changeup uh, reliance. So I wonder if he'll be able to command those secondaries a little bit better in shorter stints. Certainly something that's worked for a lot of other players. And, um, you know, if, if he can take that next step forward and Carson Smith returns, we could be looking at a really uh, special part of the team that helps overcome some of these uh, starting pitching woes that the Red Sox have. So it, it'll yeah. be very interesting to watch. I, I kind of wonder why he's throwing a curveball and a slider uh, as a uh, – I mean, I wonder if that's just, you know, pitch classification, um, you know, difficulties. But if he's really throwing two different pitches, it seems like unnecessary considering that both of them move in essentially, you know, the, the same way. Di- you know, they're different pitches but but similar movements. So Did I say slider? I meant curveball changeup. Oh, okay. Well, I just I, – I have his uh, his Brooks baseball page up. Oh, uh, Okay. Fastball, curveball, slider, changeup. So, yep. um, so I was wondering why uh, why he would be throwing both those pitches. Um, but anyway, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. let's. Yeah, uh, can can go, I throw a question at you? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So the the walks by Kimbrel don't concern you because they do concern the heck out of me. I he you know he's got an amazing uh, arsenal of, of you know the, the, both those pitches he throws are devastating. But if they're mm-hmm. not going anywhere near the strike zone, it's just pointless. And he's He's walked guys in four out of seven outings, um, and he's – I mean, that those last pitches too, um, who did he walk? He walked somebody to, to walk in a run, and 
they were was it, it was Tula Whiskey, right? Yeah, he walked too low to to walk in the run, and then Russell Martin got up to the plate and had that single. So he it was a, a bad little he, sequence. Did he have him O two or or he certainly had him one two, and then he threw three pitches that were nowhere near the strike zone. And it's yeah, like, he he had him one two, worked it to a full count, and then uh, unfortunately threw a bad pitch. He almost only relied on the fastball today um, through those first two batters and. To, to speak to that control, it is kind of worrisome. Um, one of the things I think he may be doing right now is overthrowing the baseball at this point. Um, he's always been a hard thrower, but he's been reaching back and consistently hitting 90 on the gun, 99 on the gun, I should say, uh, as soon as he's coming out of the bullpen. And I think that he's more effective, especially um, – against some of these more elite hitters where he wants to locate his fastball in that 97 to 98 range where he is kind of just locating it, putting it exactly where he wants to. I think the adrenaline's been getting the best of him, honestly. He's in a new situation, and this is where I like to go off of the the stats a little bit and just kind of try and put my head into where he might be at this point. I think he's probably trying to um, prove himself a little bit in front of his new uh, teammates, and he seems to be kind of yanking everything a little bit. So uh, I think he will get it corrected. He's someone who's shown elite control in the past. So I don't understand why that would all of a sudden evaporate, especially, you know, with a, a pretty darn good defensive catcher behind the plate too, you know? Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for, for what the problem is either. And, I, you know, pressure and, uh, you know, new situation and, and all those things I think are, are as good a guess as any. Um doesn't fill me fill me with confidence considering he's the guy who's supposed to step in when the game is on the line, um, and he failed, you know, pretty spectacularly today in that exact role. But you know, everybody has bad outings, and he's certainly had a couple so far. So um, I'd like to see him start settling in and and you know being a little more consistent back there. It's you know, it, it, considering what they gave up to get him and how much money they're paying him and what they're you know how they're relying on him. Um, it's it's been disconcerting to me to see the way he's pitched so far. I mean, uh, you know, other than that one outing that you were there for, um, he's been. I mean, you, the stuff is incredible. You can tell that, but you know, Joe Kelly has great stuff too, and that doesn't <laughs> help anything. So, uh oh, we've got we've got one Matt saying that Joe Kelly has great stuff, and one Matt saying that he doesn't. So. <laughs> Well, what's what's the real real verdict here? I think we're not going to know, but um, yeah, that is kind of troubling. I I wonder because this is a conversation that I've had with a few people, other Red Sox fans especially. But are you okay with the price that we ended up paying for Craig Kimbrell? I totally am. I think the luxury of having an elite closer who can come in and do what he did Saturday, do what he did Friday, uh, get those key outs against you know some of the most elite hitters in all of baseball. Um, I think that's a luxury that every team that views itself as a contender uh, should should strive to have. And giving up Manuel Margot and Javi uh, Guerrero uh, seems like a really fair price, honestly, especially considering where they were on the, the depth chart relative to this team. So um, I'm okay with it. I think overpaying for the guy you really want is – always fine. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wasn't a fan of the deal. Um, it was a lot to give up. Um, you know, it's Dombrowski has shown, I think, uh, you know, through the years that, you know, he, uh, he values high end guys and there's nothing 
specifically wrong with that, certainly, um, you know, and he's willing to pay, you know, like, like you said, overpay or, you know, pay market value, you know, like, like he did with, um, you know, with, with David Price, uh, like, you know, like he did with Craig Kimbrell. He obviously identified those two guys um, and, you know, was willing to pay what whatever the cost was. And I, I don't love that kind of approach. I, I feel like there ought to be other ways to go about it rather than, you know, buying at the top of the market. I mean, obviously the Red Sox can afford to buy at the top of the market a little bit. Um, and they're probably not going to be hurt too much by losing the, the, the minor leaguers that they lost. Um, in theory, they should be able to go out and, and, and bring guys in. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, w- what's happened with the, you know, the Red Sox in the outfield. Uh, and if you look at the guys they've, they've dealt away over the last number of years, they certainly could have used a Josh Reddick. Right. Uh, you know, they, they've had, consi- you know, since, uh, uh, Adrian Beltre left in free agency. They've, they've tried a bunch of guys in, in, uh, you know, at third base and, and that hasn't worked at all. Um, you know, so, uh, with, with the exception, I guess, so far of this year, that's, but, you know, we're still very early into the, into the year. So I, you know, trading, the trading minor league guys is always easy in theory. Um, they're not on the major league roster and they're just gone and that's that. And you bring in a guy who is on the major league roster and he's right in your face and, oh, there he is. And we just got him and that's great. Um, but, uh, I, it will come back to bite you eventually, um, maybe in ways you don't even see, but the other, the other issue with the, with the Kimbrell deal is, you know, Dombrowski went out and, and made what I thought was a fantastic deal of, um, picking up, uh, Carson Smith from the Mariners, uh, for Wade Miley. And if you were going to do that, I don't understand why you need to get Kimbrell also. Considering you have, you know, Tozawa and Uehara, that's for some reason hard for me to say both in a row. Um, but, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, more good relievers is always good. Um, you know, if you have seven Andrew Millers in a, in a bullpen, um, then your bullpen is going to be wonderful. Um, but there's not really a whole lot of difference between uh, six Andrew Millers and Tommy Lane uh, and seven Andrew Millers, right? And you know, at, at a certain point, you're you're paying a lot of money uh, and giving up a lot of assets to acquire that seventh guy. So, I mean, I guess it's a you know maybe a bit of a philosophical difference between uh, you know the way Dombrowski approaches things and the, the way I prefer they be approached. Obviously, you know, Kimbrel is a I, I, <laughs> a great pitcher. Um, I say that, and then I, I laugh based on uh, what happened today. But but I, I do think he'll get it turned around. Um, but uh, it, it's it's a lot. It was a lot to give up, um, and I think maybe those um, those assets might have been deployed in in a way that could have had a greater impact on on the Red Sox. Right. Uh, so it's not necessarily that you thought that they hurt themselves or they're not a better club post trade. It's just that you thought those assets could have been allocated in other ways to make the club better, and that those those holes could have been patched in other less expensive ways. And then maybe you could have used those two pieces to deal away to get an impact starting pitcher. So we're not talking about guys like Joe Kelly and how they're going to fare in the rotation um, all the way towards, you know, Memorial day when uh, guys like Matt Collins and myself think Kelly's going to be long gone from the rotation by then. So maybe you wouldn't have to ask those questions in the first place, had they allocated better. But another thing that's possible is, uh, Dombrowski might have looked up and down at this division and saw, you know, the Orioles with Britton and O'Day and Givens and Bundy and it looked at the Yankees with what they have and even 
with Toronto, with Ozuna and Storen and Cecil, these are all really good, really deep bullpens. So I yeah, wonder if he thought a few arms aren't enough. You're, no, you're right. But but you don't have to have like, – like you can win a baseball game against a team that has a better third baseman than you, mm-hmm. right? Like the Red Sox have done that. Josh Donaldson is a much better third baseman than anyone they have on their roster. Sure. Uh, so you don't need to have uh, you know a better bullpen than the other teams. You need a better team than the other teams. Um, and so if you can get you know if you can get a, a starting pitcher to replace Joe Kelly, who's going to be much better than him, the chances are I think you'll get a lot more value over the course of the year than you would by adding um, adding Kimbrel. Um, but you know that's again that's uh, a debatable point I suppose uh, and. and uh, Honestly, ultimately, really not even uh, that valuable considering that they've already done it. So, right. um, you know, Allen and Aswahe and Guerra and Marco are gone. They're in San Diego now, or, or you know, thereabouts. And uh, and and Kimbrel's in Boston, and it's he's he's fun to watch when he's on. So I, I just hope he's on more. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard for them to get. I, I think what you know the value that they want to get out of him now, considering that he's already kind of blown two games. Um, and he's only you only get so many opportunities as you know as, as a, a relief ace, a, a closer, whatever. Um, so I mean he's he's gonna he's got an uphill climb to to even get to you know positive value at this point. So. If he's lights out in the postseason for the Red Sox, though, we'll all forgive him, right? And we'll be happy well, with that trade. That's the other thing. So there is totally that aspect to it where um, you know you you can. Uh, you can get that value back, I think, in in the postseason where where things are so magnified. Um, but you have to get there first, um, right? And you know, days like today don't help that cause much. JD Drew's contract was forgiven with one hit. I suppose that was really not a bad contract either. <laughs> <laughs> I think people didn't like JD Drew because of his sort of. Uh, you know, it was like his brother's attitude. I mean, they were they were both uh, you know very kind of quiet, non-demonstrative guys, right? And you know, Boston likes, and a lot of cities like guys like Dustin Pedroia, who you know, fist pump and throw their bodies on the ground and and all this sort of stuff. But there's other ways to win. I mean, no knock on, on Pedroia. I love Pedroia. He's awesome. But uh, there's there's other ways to get you know to get value and there's other ways to, to you know have good players who who can you know, who act different ways it, it doesn't have to be like that yeah but you know it's boston man reckless abandon is is uh is is really valued in this city that's it's, true it's yes. to 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 the detriment of the team sometimes but uh certainly is a thing um Let's move on to one of the biggest issues of of the day that I am very fired up about. I've probably been annoying everybody who follows me on Twitter with my incessant tweets about the situation that is brewing in Boston. But um, I was a little bit floored a few days ago when the Red Sox went ahead and decided to uh, demote Blake Swihart and go ahead and send him down to AAA. Um the news came that that was happening and that um, Christian Vasquez was going to get the nod as the starting catcher. Uh, and immediately a few things happened. There started to be some speculation about um, whether or not Hannigan was going to be involved in some sort of a trade, you know, possibly 
greasing the wheels for some type of a deal to get Sandoval out of town or Castillo or something like that. Or there were many, many different possibilities that people started talking about when that happened. And then it also came out that uh, Blake Swihart wasn't only going to be demoted to AAA, uh, but he was going to be uh, started to to get some reps in left field, which um, I think has has been a little bit troubling to some people, myself included. And it just uh, it opens the door for a myriad of questions about what the Red Sox are really planning to do with a young player that, by all accounts, they've protected pretty uh, fiercely in trade talks with people over the last uh, couple years or so. So I'm wondering what your take was on that situation, and we can kind of go into depth and dissect all the different possibilities here. Uh, what my take is on Swihart going to AAA? Yeah, and what the uh, the motivations might be on Dombrowski's part. Oh, I think the motivation is entirely uh, catcher defense, like like you mentioned. Um, you know, having uh, having Vasquez behind the plate um, you know, the idea is having Vasquez behind the plate will, will help the, the Red Sox pitchers. Um, so you'll get, you'll get the value sort of almost like a double whammy. Um, and, you know, considering the way the Red Sox, uh, you know, starters have pitched, uh, recently, um, you know, today's Clay Buckholtz start may be included, maybe not depending on your point of view. <laughs> um, you can see that argument, or at least I can, um, and, you know, catcher defense is, is one of those things where uh, I, I think, you know, we have a lot of numbers on it. Um, you know, baseball prospectus, you know, has, you know, catcher defensive reports that are, you know, incredibly specific. But I think there's still there's still a lot of um, art to it. And it's a little unclear to me exactly how, um, you know, how much it, you need uh, in terms of, a, you know, a sample size to, to be able to really trust the data. I think it's undoubtable that, um, you know, that Vasquez is a stronger defensive catcher. Um, you know, what the ultimate value is for the Red Sox by switching Vasquez out for Swihart, that's, that's a harder, um, I think a harder thing to know. Um, I mean, just as an example, you know, everyone was up in arms about Swihart missing that, you know, that pop up. And then, uh, you know, on the, then a couple pitches later, Buckholtz threw a meatball and, and it was over the fence. Um, and, you know, that happens. Uh, it's not ideal, uh, but it does happen. And as evidence, uh, you know, today we had Christian Vasquez, defensive catcher extraordinaire, missed two um, what looked like catchable pitches to me. I, I don't know why he missed them. Maybe he got crossed up. But, um, you know, two key passed balls over the course of the game that, you know, certainly helped the Blue Jays' cause. Um so, you know, defensive mistakes do happen. Um, I, I wonder what the, uh, you know, what the difference between uh, Vasquez's bat and Swihart's bat really is. Because Swihart is still incredibly young and, you know, last year had a, had a much better second half that looked to be almost entirely BABIP driven. I think he had almost a 500 BABIP last year. It was like 480 or something uh, you know, during the second half. Um or, or maybe it was just August. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I do think Swihart will be a good hitter, especially a good hitter for for a catcher. Um, uh, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know how great a hitter he is right now. So from that standpoint, um, you know, maybe maybe the Red Sox determined that 
you know, the, the combination of, of his bat and his defense, he just needed more seasoning. I, I can see that argument. Um, and then at that point, you pull up Vasquez because there's nobody else to pull up. You're not pulling up Sandy Leon. Um, so, um, I don't know. I, I, it makes it makes sense to me. I, at the same time, um, I think I would have liked to see them uh, have both Vasquez and, and Swihart on the team. And maybe that will still happen. Um, I mean, you don't want to throw Hannigan out, you know, <laughs> just be like, get out. He's a he's a good catcher. Um, he's not much of a hitter, but he's he does get on base a little bit, um, and you know he's a good defensive catcher. So maybe if Swihart starts hitting down there, um, you know does does some uh, make some defensive improvements. Um, you know maybe hand against a guy they can they can move for some value. Um, you know later on in the season, but I don't know. I I just wonder how good uh, how good Vasquez is going to hit, and that's that's kind of my main concern. Um, yeah, uh, especially the way um, Farrell has been deploying the lineup recently, it, it they they need as many bats as they can possibly get, you know. And if David Ortiz is going to get two days off a week or whatever it is, which you know is fine, he's forty years old. That's he knows what he needs to be, uh, you know, to you know to be healthy, to remain healthy, and, and stay in the lineup and be good. But um, you know, then you're looking at a, a lineup with you know Rutledge and. Rutledge, right? I don't even know his name. Rutledge. Yeah, Josh Rutledge. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say Jeff, and I was like, that's not right. Um, and uh, you, you know, people of his ilk towards the end, and, and you know, Vasquez, uh, you know, fits fine in that group of of sort of non hitters, and the last four guys in that lineup are just sort of out machines, and it's kind of it's kind of tough to imagine them winning a whole lot of games, um, you know, unless Mookie and Xander start really picking it up. Yeah, it's it seems like a bit of an overreaction to a small sample size from Blake Swihart here. I think my biggest problem with the move is that they took a guy after about seven games who wasn't even playing all that badly. I mean, there were some defensive issues, certainly, um, but you're crushing a young kid's confidence by sending him to AAA and replacing the guy. We all know what sort of a, a strange developmental um, curve he had with being called up last year and getting the bulk of the starting work because of the Vasquez injury um, and injuries to, to Hannigan. So he was kind of thrown into the fire last year by no fault of his own. Performs pretty well. Um, and when you start comparing the bats for these two guys, there is a noticeable difference. To give you a, an idea, Christian Vasquez's minor league line over the course of his career in the minors is 267, 347, uh, 393 for his slash line. So not a whole lot of power there. Certainly gets on base at a decent rate. Um, and then when you look at Blake Swihart, who spent a little bit less time down there, uh, his line is 286, 339, 427. I think what Dave Dombrowski was thinking is that in the short term, and especially seems like the Red Sox are in win-now mode considering everybody aside from him is pretty much fighting for a job right now, is that the defensive replacement of Vasquez would help what is a com an incredibly flawed pitching staff here for the Red Sox. Ben Carsley made that point on Twitter. I thought it was a pretty good one. Um, you know, Maybe instead of having to replace Blake Swihart, you did a better job getting pitchers on this team so you didn't have to worry about that and when you talk about the the past balls that um christian vasquez had today i wonder how much that has to do with um buckholtz getting crossed up on signals too because uh, these guys 
Buckholtz and um, Kelly especially are sort of notorious for their uh, inability to follow what the, the catcher asks them to do. Um, but the the more important question I think that this gives to to Blake is like, you know, what are you doing with this guy who is somebody that was completely unavailable in trade talks um, by experimenting him with different positions? I think if anything, it weakens um, his value. His bat is going to be totally average if he ends up getting um, time in left field, and if Dombrowski does make that decision that he wants to go with Vasquez as the long-term catcher because he values the defense and he values the way he handles the pitching staff, that's fine. I'm totally okay with that. But the move is to trade Blake Swihart as a catcher, not, you know, show that the organization isn't confident in his abilities to catch, move him to left field for even partial amounts of time. I think his value was just about as high as it could be um, last year. And there were talks of him being a centerpiece for trades of guys like, Chris Sale or Sonny Gray or guys like that that could still become available um, at the end of the year. I mean, if you look at teams like um, Cleveland who have gotten off to a bad start, I don't think that's a very good team. I know I'm sort of in the minority there, but they've got three really good starters who could be helpful to the Red Sox that could be moved. There's endless possibilities. I would rather see Blake Swihart traded from this team than moved off of catcher even in a partial capacity where he could lose some of his value. I'd rather see him traded for an ace than, than treated like this. Well, can I push back a little bit? Because Go, yeah, push back as much as you want. So there's very few catchers um, anywhere within the last 10 years who catch 162 games. Usually you need at least two guys, and often you need more than that. Um, so uh, I, I think it's a bit of a false choice to say that you know, you have to choose one or the other of Vasquez or Swihart. Now, could their value be, um, you know, distributed differently, like through a trade? Um, because, you know, presumably you're going to have one guy sitting while the other guy pl- other guy plays. Well, maybe. Um, but then maybe that's the idea, you know, by having – I don't think Vasquez is going to play a different position other than catcher. I don't think he's going to have the bat to support it. Um, and there's really no reason to move him off the position, you know, based on his offense or his defense. But, you know, Swihart, you know, I, I don't know what the Red Sox think of him as a hitter, but my guess is that his bat could play at other positions. Probably not, you know, he, he's probably not going to be like, you know, a, an all-star caliber first baseman or all-star caliber left field, left fielder, but, you know, he can probably handle – um, those positions defensively, um, and he's he won't kill you with the bat. So then you have the opportunity to rest Vasquez, you know, uh, on on the days when he needs to rest, and not to be forced to to play a guy like Sandy Leone or or whoever your um, you know junky backup catcher du jour is. Um, so I I mean I don't have a huge problem with them keeping both of those guys on the roster and you know, presumably healthy and distributing playing time in that sort of manner. Um, and then if Swihart has that kind of flexibility, you can use him and Vasquez in the lineup at the same time if you need to or want to. Um, so I don't have a huge problem with that. My issue is if the Red Sox think that he can't or isn't playing good defense at catcher, um, I would like to see them give him more reps at catcher 
and get him better at the position rather than stick him in left field. Right. Uh, That's a huge sticking point for me as well. I mean, why send him down to AAA to learn left field when he still clearly has areas to work on as a catcher? It's not like this guy has gotten poor reports in terms of his defense in the minor leagues. He's actually uh, developed really quickly. One of the things that was so impressive about him as he came up last year was just how scouts were gushing about the strides that he's made defensively and how they envisioned that while Vasquez is obviously a gold glove, like Yadi Molina type presence behind the plate, um, Blake wasn't all that far off. And considering um, the bat but, being as good as it is. Seen them, having seen them, would you say that they're comparable? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they're comparable defensively, but I would say that if I'm going to make an organizational choice as a guy who I'm going to catch five days a week, I'm going to try and develop the guy with the bat whose defense could get to an 80% approximation of Vasquez's defense, and I believe that that's a possibility. I think he can get to 80%. I would rather roll with that guy long-term rather than have him in this weird position where he's backing up the better defensive player in Vasquez, playing some left field, and not being on the field as much as somebody with his bat should be on the field. That's my big issue. I I just don't know that you're going to have anybody playing catcher five days a week. You don't think so? I mean, five days a week, that's five out of six games. Um. I mean, I don't know how many – what is that, 140 games a year? I mean, even if we knock it down, let's say four games a week out of him, that's still four games a week that you're getting to plug that bat into your lineup at the catcher spot where your average left fielder is clubbing about 19 home runs a season right now. You could certainly have another left fielder in there that's going to be more effective offensively. I think when you move Blake to left field, his bat plays down. And when you move Christian – to catcher, his bat plays down compared to what Blake could be. So I think you're, you're just you're shortchanging yourself offensively, and I think the reason why Dombrowski's okay with that right now is because the gains he's getting out of the pitching staff are better than the than what he's losing off of the bat at this point. And with the offense performing as well as it has so far in, in this early going, he can kind of afford to take that step back there offensively. So I think there's one other thing here, which is that the um you know Dombrowski is trying to win with this team like like we talked about earlier you know this is they're they're in full win now mode right um but they're stuck with the with the roster they have so obviously there's issues with the starting pitching um it's april 18th as we record this um you know we're two plus weeks into the season um nobody is going to trade Corey Kluber or uh, you know your Name your ace pitcher here right now. That's just not going to happen. Nobody's right. giving up on the season right now. So how do you improve a pitching staff that obviously needs to be improved? Well, you take out a catcher who is not playing uh, defense as well as you would like, and you replace him with a catcher who you hope will play premium defense. That is one way you can improve the pitching staff without actually exchanging pitchers for pitchers. My guess is the next step uh, is to – Remove a guy like Joe Kelly and bring up a guy like Brian Johnson or um, uh, Owens. Um, and that, you know, if if Kelly uh, struggles, if, uh, you know, who, whoever, if, if anyone in the rotation currently continues to struggle, save David Price, they, they will probably make a swap at some point 
my guess is early next month. Um, so I, my guess is you go two to three weeks with Vasquez as the primary catcher, and you hope that the results from the starting lineup improve or the starting rotation improve. And if they can't or don't improve, then then you start switching bodies out. Um, but I think this is the first step to improving the the starting rotation. Um, and you know what they do with Swihart and AAA. Yeah, I think we agree. We'd like to see him you know, catch every day he possibly can. Right. Um, but I at least can see it from a strategic standpoint. I don't think they need to get rid of one of these guys, at least right now. Over the next couple of years, uh, they're going to need two catchers. People get injured, as we've certainly seen. There's there's no reason to trade Swihart now for, you know, for a left fielder, and then um, Vasquez gets hurt again, and, and you're stuck with Sandy Leon as the starter yet again, and, and that's going to sink the season or come close to it. So, um I think this is mostly about the pitching staff um, and just, you know, the first step in Dombrowski, who seems to move relatively quickly with these things, um, you know, trying to make some changes and, and, and some improvements. Well, either way, we both uh, undoubtedly agree that his best place and where he has the most value by far is at catcher, right? So as long as they end up keeping him there long term, we'll both be pretty happy with that. I think that's probably fair, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, we're we're running a little short on time here, so let's get through a few other things here. Um, a few notes from from what's coming up on the Red Sox docket soon. Um, they've got a pretty tough series, I think, coming up against Tampa Bay. Uh, the matchups that we have coming up in this next week, we've got Kelly versus Drew Smiley. Um, this series is at home, by the way. Um, Archer versus Porcello, which I think has the makings of a pretty interesting game considering Porcello had a really good start last time. Archer's been struggling a little bit. And then we have a great matchup of Odorizzi versus Price. Um, those three games are going to be pretty interesting. And then the Sox actually go back out on the road for uh, Stephen Wright versus Colin McHugh, um, Buckholtz versus Mike Fires. And Kelly again versus Scott Feldman, which is going to be must not see TV there for that game. So, um, but let's talk about this Tampa Bay series quickly. Any of those matchups really intrigue you? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, to seeing all the Rays starting pitchers. The, the Rays are, are uh, you know, really good uh, starting rotation, and their their bullpen is kind of junky. Uh, so, you know, I think. Um, you know, seeing a lot of pitches as, as as much as they can to try to get into that bullpen, which is sort of a, a strategy that's fallen by the wayside, you know, for obvious reasons now um, throughout baseball. But I, I think bringing that back for this series, if if they can, um, being a little more passive at the plate, looking for their pitch even more than than maybe usual, uh, might might behoove the the Red Sox and, and let them let them get into that bullpen where they can do a little more uh, a little more pounding. So let's play a little Nostradamus here. Uh, where do you see the Red Sox finishing in this series? Do you think they take two out of three, or do you think they uh, end up losing this series to the Rays? No, I think they can take two out of three. Um, the, the series I'm, I'm interested in uh, is, is actually the Houston series because uh, the Houston starting pitching has really struggled. And, oh, it's been awful, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and this uh, they're not even going to face Dallas Keuchel, who has also not pitched wonderfully uh, himself. But they're going to get the back end of that rotation, who has been been really bad so far. So I'll be interested to see if the Red Sox can really uh, tee off on these guys because, um, you know, they they should, quite frankly. 
Yeah, there's a lot of potential for a possibility of uh, five out of the next six games being wins, which would be a, a huge boon to the Red Sox early on in this uh, season. A few notes that I want to make before we actually sign off and, and get off the air. Um, the Red Sox are currently 500 right now with Xander Bogarts batting 220, Mookie Betts batting 222, um, and Kelly and Porcello both having ERAs north of five at this point. So um, all, all things considered, uh, the year is going pretty well. Um, the other thing I want to mention that is a very interesting fact, at least as far as I'm concerned, is um, digging into some of the more advanced stats for some of the pitchers. Um, Porcello right now, even though he has a 5.11 ERA, actually has a 2.88 xFIP right now. So He's been pitching a bit better than it looks, um, and especially I was encouraged by the way that he was managed by Vasquez last time out. Um, I'm bullish on him. I think he can he can turn it around. Buckholtz had the gem today. Um, not very enthusiastic about him going forward. And then Kelly, man, you're lucky you don't live in Boston because there were so many people calling into sports radio saying how great he pitched last time out with two earned runs and eight walks to boot. And I just was screaming in my car, like you give up eight walks and you're lucky to not give up a six spot. So um, yeah. it's, th that's still a bad thing, but those yeah. stats are pretty interesting considering how bad so many important pieces have played so far. Well, and they're going to get Eduardo Rodriguez back, uh, you know, hopefully in a couple weeks and Carson Smith back maybe a little sooner than that. So, um, I mean, you can't plan for perfect health, uh, so, uh, you know, there is that, but, uh, you know, having those two guys, sh uh, show up should, should help things. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think if the Red Sox can sort of almost pull a Blue Jays and, and tread water up to the trade deadline, then, then they should be able to, uh, I, I don't think anybody's going to pull ahead of them. So they, they should be able to make some moves and improve the team and, and hopefully, uh, make a, make a strong run in the second half towards the playoffs. Yep. And, uh, you heard it here first. Mark Trumbo's not going to win a batting title. So there we go. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. First time on the podcast. Won't be the last time. Matt's going to be a regular with us as well as all the other guys you've heard so far. Uh, keep tuning in. You can check us out on iTunes and Stitcher as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at @devjake And uh, Matt, one more time, where can they find you? At MattyMatty2000. All right. Best, uh, best Twitter name at least on our site. So uh, thanks again, Matt, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jake.